हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब साउंड इज ओके फॉर यू यस ओके एब्सोल्युटली ग्रेट Yes, you sound just like your podcast. <laughs> so it's really good quality. So today I have with me Farah Yasmin Sheikh. She's an international Kathak artist, a renowned performer, choreographer, and instructor, and the founder director of Nurani Dance. Known for evocative storytelling, technical precision, delicacy, and grace, Farah's unique artist voice focuses on topic of historical and social relevance. and has received support and recognition for many of her projects most notably the forgotten empress focused on the life of mughal empress noor jahan and the partition project based on the 1947 india pakistan partition farah lives in the san francisco bay area and through her organization nurani dance trains the next generation of kathak artists in the us and also performs and teaches extensively in pakistan Faraji, how are you? I'm good. Namaskar, Adab. Thank you for having me. Namaskar, Adab. Faraji, I guess uh, since we ended your bio talking about teaching in Pakistan, could you tell us about the work you do in Pakistan? Let's just start from there. Absolutely. So, a little context, of course, to that work. Um, I am. Um, so, my parents were both born in Bombay, and in 1948, just after partition. uh as babies they both their families happened to move to Karachi and so our travels back home were always um to Karachi because that's where the immediate family was if you will uh still have quite a bit of family in Bombay and various parts of India also Mm-hmm. And so personally once I started dancing I always had a desire to do work in Pakistan but my guruji of course pandit jitesh das being from kolkata india most of the trips with him were to india home base was always kolkata and then wherever else the work took us uh, right. so for me that dream if you will was not realized until more recently just in mm-hmm. the past 5 years and so when i started to do that work it was first of course a matter of just getting engaged what's the environment like i had wanted to do it for so long and it had been clear earlier on that it wasn't the right time you know politically and such the climate there um you know arts have gone through quite a bit during these various political regimes and so for one reason or another i was not i was dissuaded from exploring it so come 2014 15 when i started revisiting this desire I essentially reached out to people that I knew both familiarly and in um more of a you know friends of the family type of situation and mm-hmm. they really helped to set up a quite an amazing tour for me that first time in January of 2015 uh December 15 and uh January 16 and what that really opened my eyes up to is that though it had been a personal goal there was actually uh there was really i wouldn't even say opportunity but there was it was there was a window open that just really led me to believe that i could make an impact there artistically um socially and not only in pakistan but by doing the work there the reciprocal effect of what that would look like in the way it influenced people's perceptions here in the us and even in india and so i 
to be more specific, uh, what I get to do when I'm there, I get to teach and perform um, really in a variety of institutions. Sometimes that's more at the university level. I've had the chance mm-hmm. to work at the Indus Valley School of the Arts in Karachi multiple okay. times. Um, I do as much as I can with uh, T2F, the second floor, which is a fabulous organization also based in Karachi. Mm-hmm. And then also now going to the other cities, Lahore, Islamabad, I've had the chance to be uh, to work with the Fez Foundation, uh, which is run by one of his daughters. Actually, both of his daughters are, this is, of course, the great Fez Ahmed, Fez Saheb. And both of his daughters, Maniza Hashmi Saiba and Salima Hashmi Saiba, are doing phenomenal work to uphold the work of their father and themselves doing so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I performed a couple of times at the Fez Festival in Lahore. Uh, last year, got to do some work through the Islamabad Arts Festival. So it's both, I would say, the hope is to bring, yes, a level of entertainment um, and help to bring the style that was passed on to me as far as mm-hmm. the, the training of my Guruji, uh, but also bring, I think, a unique perspective of being a Pakistani-American Muslim doing this work outside of South Asia. Uh, mm-hmm. I've also had the chance to work with and meet some brilliant artists there, dancers, uh, Shima Karmaniji, Nagachatriji, um I'm in touch with Nahidji. I haven't had a chance to meet her directly yet, but mm-hmm. you know, there's some amazing people who have even paved the path in a much more challenging time. And I wouldn't even have these opportunities if it weren't for them. Um, so that in a nutshell is what I get to do. I've also spoken to, you mentioned the second floor and uh, yes. I've had, uh, I think I have Elena Roy on the podcast and she yes. did her first performance in Pakistan because of uh, at the second floor and kind of she teaches now in the new era but she and she told me that and i've had like perspectives of pakistani kathakars over the years it's not it's much different now but are there any some are there any like challenges that you face when teaching in pakistan that are unique to that country now yes undoubtedly um and of course there are challenges but it's also Mm -hmm. just uh, the word challenge can also come across with almost a negative connotation. And I don't want to dismiss that there is a challenge, but I think it's also acknowledging that the circumstances are simply just different. Right. And by that, um, you know, you have to, I think we have to acknowledge for 10 years, if I had been born in Pakistan, Mm -hmm. literally the first 10 years of my life, the arts were being suppressed quite, Mm -hmm. quite aggressively. Right, And right. so, you know, a whole generation grew up, my peers mm. grew up without the mm. arts being offered in schools, no performances, unless your parents were very progressive and you were mm-hmm. studying or getting exposed to it in sort of an underground manner. And so right. even though times have shifted, there, of course, have been continuously been opposition you know, you're you're dealing with a society where art in general, and even more specifically dance, is not the thing that it's not the go to for for people mm-hmm. to experience either as a patron or as one who wants to study. And mm-hmm. so when you are attempting to teach, just the sheer numbers are going to be significantly less than they would, of course, in India, definitely in the US, um, mm-hmm. you know, in most other parts of the world. So you're both trying to promote and propagate the art form and you have to do it in a way that's very sensitive to whatever people's reservations might be. Right. And so whether that's, you know, making decisions about um, the content, you know, approaching it from more of the rhythmic perspective 
Mm -hmm. Or, um, and then once you bring people in, you get them to start realizing that this, that it is truly a mode of expression. And mm -hmm. I, I do, I have found, which actually gives me a great deal of sadness. I have found with multiple generations that right. there's still a mentality by some that Katak is not part of their cultural tradition. Mm -hmm. And that again, gives me great sadness because it absolutely is. But if you're not made to know that, learn that, appreciate mm -hmm. that, embrace that, then you're going to have a little bit of a deflection of it. And some, depending on where they sit, might say, oh, this is very Indian. This is very Hindu. And so you're having to educate people at a level that gets them to shed those walls, if you will, those barriers, um, somewhat sometimes very steeped in emotional, you know, rhetoric. Right. And when you say that it's not part of the culture, I guess it's not even just people in Pakistan. It's also like people in India who think of, like Kathak is a classical Indian dance form and it wouldn't occur to you to think of like Kathak having roots in Pakistan as well. Uh, so, and so when, so when you deal with people who don't want to send say their daughters and sons to your classes and they say, I don't want them to become a dancer. How do you deal with such reservations? Um, well, I will answer that, but I do want to just point out, you know, uh, sure. I do. Yes. Uh, to the point that you made about even in India. And again, this is the thing that really gets me quite worked up when people mm -hmm. want to, um, almost disclaim the association of whether it's the classical musical traditions or Kathak specifically, or even other forms of dance, because mm -hmm. even the other classical forms, yes, they all have their points of origin. Um, but Nobody says anything when Bharatanatyam is, is practiced and preserved in North India, and yet it's a South Indian form, right? Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't we say the same thing about Kathak across the subcontinent? But even if you were to specifically look at North India, well, Lahore, Karachi, these were all, we were all India. We are all one. It's, mm -hmm. it's these political insertions that divided us. So you cannot erase history simply by putting a border there. And to say that Kathak is not part, and this is, you know, you and I have had this conversation, and if you don't mind, I know, I think we were going to touch on it, but I'll bring it yeah. now. Okay. Um, you know, this is why I have really, of course, Kathak is an Indian classical art form, but for those who are not able to understand or embrace or acknowledge the history, the very recent history being mm -hmm. partition, um, if we're not able to embrace that and how it divided the people and all aspects of our cultural heritage. Uh, if we continue to only call it Indian classical dance, then you're, you are disassociating it from Pakistan as well as Bangladesh. And that's simply not fair. Classical culture arts is part of these newly formed nation. It's not like the reset button was pressed and they got to all of a sudden develop this new culture. No. Yes, of course, there's been things that have become inherently, if you will, Pakistani. But that's like saying, does anybody say that about Kavali? Do we say that Kavali does not belong in, in parts of India? Of course not. Of course not. So why would we do that to dance? And, you know, so you can see, I feel quite emotionally committed to this. And this is why I often say that I like to refer to it as South Asian classical dance. I realize that the term South Asian is very con contemporary in many ways, but if that's what it requires to be able to acknowledge that Pakistan not just gets to reclaim it, but claim it as it has always been a part of its own culture. Uh, to, yeah. to answer the question you asked me about, you know, how do I, how do I 
in some ways convince those who might feel otherwise. Uh, you know, I guess I can I can speak to examples there. Um, when I spoke about Indus Valley School of the Arts, for example, when I've gone and taught there, this has been a somewhat involuntary session for um, students of the university where the faculty wonderfully said, we want this to take place. And it was a week-long residency where I was there, I think, you know, nine to three each day. And so for five days in a row, I got the chance to work with these students. And that's a teacher's dream to not just go in for an hour or two, but to really, you know, give much more than that. Mm -hmm. And so there were some students that came to me and, you know, there was, I remember a young woman who, uh, Bordy, so she had, you know, the headdress and everything on. And um, she said, I'm sorry, you know, due to my religious practice, dance is not something I can do. And I said, look, and this was, I think, a day or two into the, the class. Mm. And I said to her, look, I'm not, I'm not going to judge you in any way. These are your personal decisions. You do mm. have to go and speak to your faculty advisors if you want right. to be excused. So ultimately, it's not up to me to make that decision for you. Right. However, I'm going to ask you to just think about something. You've been mm. dancing with me for two days now. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to ask you, has anything happened in a way that's made you feel extremely uncomfortable? Is there anything that you feel has gone against your principles or your beliefs? Have you gotten any enjoyment out of this time with me? And based on that conversation, and I do believe that there was a little bit of her just feeling like she wanted to find some way to just get out of it, maybe even just to have a little free time. Right. <laughs> but long story short, she stuck with it. And okay. at the end of the week, she said to me, Faraji, I'm so glad you encouraged me to do this. And this has been such a unique experience for me. There was even a young man, also part of that same program, one of the years that I um, I chose to teach Raghupati Raghava and bring movement to it. This was a song that my Guruji incorporated quite a bit into wow. our classes. And I, I knew that I was bringing something that could be a little bit provocative, to depending on where people thought and felt. Um, right. And he did come to me. He said, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. I said, okay, you know, this is your choice. To me, it's a song that I feel has a great deal of beautiful meaning to it. And it's one that also has personal significance to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's up to you. Again, he experienced it. He went ahead. I think he just wanted to express that he wasn't feeling very comfortable. And I said, I'm not going to force you to do anything. I said, I never want anybody to judge me. And I certainly don't want to judge you. So it's, it's ultimately, it's your choice. And he decided to keep doing it. And similarly, at the end of the week, he said, thank you. That's all he said. And, you know, I, so I, I, I'm not really here to push or convince somebody, but I will certainly engage in dialogue to help them to hopefully guide them to a place where they can have an open mind and heart to have an experience that I really believe they will enjoy and it will inform them and it will enlighten them. And so far that has been the case. Okay. And since you're talking about your teaching and you mentioned your Guruji and I'm curious about this, when you take your classes, because I've, I've heard, I've read the stories of how he took his first few classes and how people were struggling. Do you bring along some of the elements of the intensity he brought when you teach as well? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's like any relationship with a parent. Right. You don't even realize 
you, you have no separation of the way they raised you. And my mm-hmm. Guruji raised me in the dance. I mean, he, the DNA in my body that runs through my veins and my energy is, is him. You know, I think mm-hmm. we all interpret the different aspects of our guru in different ways, but mm-hmm. you can't separate yourself from that. I feel that I would have to work really hard to do that. And mm-hmm. it's far more natural for me to embrace embrace what he gave me. So it, it goes without saying that that's there. And yet, of course, I am also always, just as he was, always evolving and finding mm-hmm. who Farah is in that. So just like, again, when I think of my parents, I have very, very strong components of them just last night, my father was telling me, I'm seeing and hearing more and more of your mother and you and your sister and the way that I'm parenting my daughter. Absolutely. But then, of course, I'm also a very different mother than my mother was, you know, so right. I believe this is the same with the guru and the disciple. And um, and I've loved bringing that consciously and subconsciously to my students, especially mm-hmm. in Pakistan. And I would say that not only in my teaching, but also in my performances, you know, um, I love that Guruji's style is so deeply rooted in the Kathak vernacular and yet so deeply and wonderfully unique. And I think that that is something that will always set myself and my Guru sisters apart. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And since, and then that kind of brings me to my next question in the sense that you have these strong roots of Pakistan and you go back and you teach there and you learn and absorb what the history of Lahore and Islamabad and Pakistan is. And you also have your training from your Guruji, which is its own style. Uh, what, has your uh, has your style of Kathak been influenced by the Kathak that developed in Pakistan all these years? I can't say that it has simply because I haven't necessarily mm-hmm. engaged in in that style. You know, right. I um, yes, you know, I I have seen, I've met, of course, Elena. I've um, worked with Shima Karmaniji. She's brought me for a couple of workshops. She and I have um, goals to collaborate. Actually, earlier this year, I was supposed to be there and spend a month working with her on a project. Um, so that will happen. And I bring Shimaji. She, of course, was trained in Odyssey and mm-hmm. Natyam more so, but she has brought some Kathak into her style and her teaching and her performance. But I yes. haven't ever experienced any of that with anybody else. I am a great great, great fan of Nahidji. And, um, you know, there may be an opportunity. I would love to embrace an opportunity to possibly take a workshop or something with her at some point, but I can't say that the styles have influenced me at all because I Mm -hmm. haven't experienced them. What has influenced me as Mm -hmm. far as artistically in Pakistan is, um, working with the musicians there. Um, But I believe it's been a beautiful exchange. I have influenced them just as much they me. And Mm. what has also come to me is a greater, deeper desire to um, bring some of the poetry, specifically of Pakistan. You know, again, I've done um, an interpretation of Faz Ahmed Faz Saheb's uh, Subhya Zadi. And of course, that is about partition. So it was a wonderful way to honor his work and his brilliance and the way that he wrote about his perspective of partition, which I just find so moving. I've also done a, 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 a small interpretation of Ham Dekinge, Kirati, that's also by an Urdu poet. Um, I am a, since childhood, a great 
appreciator of Iqbal Banu Saheba. She's one of my father's favorite vocalists, and I have had the chance to meet her um, early on in my study of Kathak, actually, and have, she's, of course, passed um, in more recent years, but uh, I have even done a rearrangement of one of my favorite pieces of hers, Bael Megite, and um, performed that both live as well as have done a recording of it. So, you know, there's there's definitely an undoubted uh, influence in, in just being in that environment and wanting to go deeper into, you know, exploring some of the work of these great Pakistani artists and, and highlight the work that they have done and be able to share that through my medium. Okay, and... That's a good theme to stay on for a bit. When we're talking about artists, mm. I had a couple of questions there. Um, f- my first question was, you talked about a dance, how you have influenced musicians. So I, I'm very curious as to give me an example of how a musician can be influenced by a dancer. I understand how it works the other way around. Mm. but Oh my goodness, absolutely. And again, this is from years and years and years of observing Guruji. Mm-hmm. Um from quite literally the first time I saw him perform, which was just a few months into my study with him. Right. Um, so I can't say that I had a lot of experience um, mm-hmm. as far as comparison, mm-hmm. but I guess, again, I never knew anything different and mm-hmm. only through conversation with him and then seeing other Kathak dancers. Often I believe a musician can, can appear to be an accompanist. Guruji's style and the way he trained us is absolutely not. Frankly, I believe to be an accompanist can somewhat be a bit of a degrading role for a musician. Absolutely. You're not, a musician to me is not there to accompany me. They are there to be with me and be just as much in the forefront as I am as the dancer. So what what, would So if you so is it if I'm hearing this correctly do you prefer not to use the term accompanying artists I guess I just I don't define it in the way I I believe I I have used it I think, okay. think something I just wrote as recent as a 2 days back yeah. I did reference right. but to me the definition of that is not that the, they are on the side quite literally or figuratively so when mm-hmm. you ask me what does that mean in my relationship with musicians in pakistan it's not mm-hmm. exclusive to pakistan right but essentially it's it's always extremely collaborative to me mm-hmm. i am and again guruji would do this he would even say you play something and i'll follow you so when mm-hmm. it comes to that upaj you know it's not just yes of course most of what i do is driven by okay, I'm dictating, let's work in this, uh, mm-hmm. let's do this composition. But I'm also very excited when I work with musicians, again, here or there, whether I work with a musician in Pakistan, here, even in India, um, anywhere, really, uh, it is very much, okay, do you have a rag that you want to play if it's not something that I need to dictate because it's a particular story element and it needs to be in a particular rag? Um So it is very much an exchange to me. And so in Pakistan, I think that that has been especially fun because, again, that unique style of my Guruji's, where even if these artists have worked with um, dancers before, Mm -hmm. there is just, I think, you know, Guruji's vibrancy in the compositions, in the physical vigor in which he trained all of us and what I hope to execute Mm -hmm. is really, it's a great challenge to the musicians. It's not just me telling them, 
अच्छा आप यहां बैठ जाओ और सिर्फ ये ठेका बजाओ नो लाइक प्ले द कॉम्पोजिशन डू इट विथ मी लेट्स लर्न लेट्स रिसाइट इफ यू इफ यू कैन रिसाइट ऑसम इफ आई रिसाइट ठीक है यू नो लाइक इट इज एब्सोलूटली लेट्स ऑल बी इन दिस एंड फील द एक्साइटमेंट इन द एनर्जी ऑफ वट अ परफॉर्मेंस इज एंड दैट्स इज how it always works for me um and i especially love one of the relationships of a tabla artist that i work with most frequently in pakistan his mm-hmm. name is yusuf karai and he's trained his guruji is just this amazing amazing uh his name is ustad khurshid hussain and mm-hmm. he actually worked with kathak artists in the past mm-hmm. and so it's so fun when i go because he just has me sit and he actually scolds me like up आप क्यों नहीं आ सकते मेरे साथ Uh, like outside of kathak have you uh, have you picked up on in, have you ever dabbled in playing an instrument of your own as well throughout your journey um so my first um it's not it's more of course like a, a an accompaniment of sorts musically and that's manjira that was the first time i even ever had to play anything mm-hmm. but guruji was very much with all of us you know both to teach classes it helps to kind of uh bring a little bit more amplification if you will to keeping a steady right. lap as well as um you know his his technique of kathak yoga and then the the um mm-hmm. addition of playing an instrument so many of us learned to do that with the manjira um and then there was the harmonium as well which i do when i teach and even in my practice i play the harmonium every once in a while i'm certainly not extremely virtuosic in it and mm-hmm. i would love to spend more time with it um and you know but but it's it's very minimal right now i believe if i gave it the time it would mm-hmm. develop um but otherwise you know no not so much i fortunately with my daughter i am um guiding her to do more musically mm-hmm. and so she studies vocal and she studies tabla and it's so awesome because she is making those correlations right off the bat and um and it's also lovely like her tabla teacher uh, nilan chaudhri who is the son of pandit chopan chaudhri and and you know he's like a a younger brother to me um right and so he because we've worked together you know he's also so versed in compositions that we do when we dance mm-hmm. so what's so beautiful is he'll teach her how to play very compositions that she's seen and right. heard and mm-hmm. now she has a desire to learn those through the dance and mm-hmm. i just i love that that correlation as well and so um i would love to spend more time musically uh but mm-hmm. with all that i'm doing with the dance and um you know developing and teaching all of that i haven't been able to go so deep but i'm certainly hoping that she will Yeah, I mean that's a wonderful relationship you have with your daughter and pretty sure her experience is fairly unique that way. 
to have Kathak and Tabla and and actually having those compositions match because when you typically when you do a Tabla class they're not they don't have to be compositions that are the same as Kathak but right and exactly and I don't you know again um you hear me speak so much of my Guruji, but of course, give credit where credit is due. You know, he would really try to get us to observe, even when he would, he would play tabla all the time when he taught class and he would be standing and playing. He'd have the tabla on the table, but he would show, you know, like how you would play that. Well, this is why that's why you use this footwork when you when that ball is played, this is why, because the idea is, and vice versa, the idea is, is the sound of the foot should be trying to the, for the most part, mimicking the sound of what's being executed in the tabla. And right. it shouldn't just be about quantity of sound. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sometimes it is, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that, but to really diversify and enrich and understand the depth of both aspects, it's about trying to, you know, match those sounds. It's a funny thing you mentioned tabla bowls and today's as today because I was just talking to Sudhata Bharanshidi before you. That was my the other podcast I was doing, and one thing I, one thing I asked her is like when we do the tintal in uh, tintal in Kathak, or the Kathakars that originate from Bengal put a tete in the third vibhag and but, fourth vibhag, fourth fourth vibhag, mm-hmm. right? So, and that's unique to Calcutta. And, and that's something I, I found it very strange because my group lessons, um, Dr. Andersen does the same thing. And then when I, when I used to hear the Nagma that your, that the SRG students do, it was data. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Instead of that, going back yeah. to that. So then Sujatadi told me it traces back to the Tabla players in West Bengal. And then because they played that way and that's how... All, like Kathakas who come from West Bengal use that team because the music, the one. Gee, music and dance is so interconnected there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a hub for the arts, generally speaking, mm-hmm. that, um, yes, that's correct. And again, I think it's positioned us well in those conversations, even with musicians for that reason. Awesome. And then I want to, I guess, in that this point, I want to start discussing like the two productions that you mentioned in particular, Partition and the Forgotten Empress. Which one do you think is a better one to start off with? Um, I guess chronologically, Forgotten okay. Empress, both in the okay. in how I approached the work as okay. well as historically. <laughs> okay, so can you tell us a little bit about the Forgotten Empress then? Absolutely. So, um. The Forgotten Empress, essentially, it's a full-length performance in which it's based on the life of the historical figure Mughal Empress Nur Jahan. She was the 20th wife to the fourth emperor, Emperor Jahangir, who was, of course, before being emperor, was known as Prince Salim. Um, The initial desire to tell her story, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, through the dance was when I read a novel of historical fiction by the name of the 20th wife. And so the first phase of the project was actually an adaptation of that very novel in which I worked with the author, Indusun Teresan, and adapted her novel with her input mm-hmm. and uh, turned it into what was a close to two hour show. And okay. even very generously, she was even the narrator in the premiere phase of the project. Since then, that premiered in 2015. We have live music. We have, again, the narrative. I uh, Well, since then, it's evolved. The project has evolved. I wanted to bring other aspects of the Empress's life. And since then, we've written a new script. I have a playwright by the name of Matthew Spangler, 
who mm-hmm. um, he did the adaptation of The Kite Runner for theater. And so he wrote a new script and we have taken her story a little bit further than even the novel did. But the okay. intention really is to, I play all the characters. So it's very rooted mm-hmm. in the Kathak technique in that mm-hmm. one dancer, multiple roles. So okay. I play in The Forgotten Empress, I play... I want to say 12 or 13 characters. I show, you know, some of the characters I show at multiple phases of their lives. So Nur Jahan, her birth name is Mehrunissa. I show Mehrunissa as a young child. Um, and then, of course, as she gets older, um, you know, so it's it's a lot of fun for me. And even showing different female characters, because I think with our classical traditions, we think that there's only a singular feminine masculine to show. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. And I love that this show challenges me to show multiple male characters, multiple female characters. How do you have one particular mudra or stance or a particular look be the indicative characteristic of that character? Mm -hmm. And, you know, then how do two women interact with each other? How do two men, you know? So it's just, it brings a lot of joy for me creatively in that way. But the impetus for this was to really highlight the story of a woman and hence the title who Mm -hmm. is frankly suppressed in history. Even now, Mm -hmm. as I have toured the show in Pakistan, throughout the U.S., still, even in South Asia, people think, oh, ha, Mumtaz Mahal. I said, no, 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 no. This is not about Mumtaz Mahal. She, what people don't realize is she is the niece of Noor Jahan. She would not even be this woman that we know in history if it weren't for the marriage that Noor Jahan mm-hmm. arranged between Salim's son, Shah Jahan. Um, mm-hmm. Khoram was his name previously. And um, her, who uh, her name again was, um, yes, Arjumand. Um, And so, you know, this idea of, we, we know who we know and why we know them. Why do we know her? Because of the Taj Mahal. But what's her history? What is her contribution? Frankly, little to none. It is Nur Jahan who was signing on treaties. She had coins minted in her name. She mm-hmm. was going every day to the Divaniyam and though behind the Jali screen, whispering into Jahangir's ear her recommendations of how he should be ruling and or advising on certain things. Some say that she was extremely manipulative and she Mm. took advantage of his use of alcohol and drugs and manipulated and influenced him and was very strategic. Well, you hear all of these things. Manipulation, what is that? That is just a low blow at at a powerful intellectual woman. Mm. She, what, she was not allowed to be strategic? She absolutely should and could be. The only reason she couldn't really fill the seat as a powerful ruler was because mm-hmm. women couldn't at that time. Mm-hmm. You okay. know, so even even in death, what happened mm-hmm. to her? She designed her own tomb prior, of course, to her demise. She designed Jahangir's tomb. She actually, she designed the tomb of her father. Her father's tomb is actually the blueprint for the Taj Mahal. She is never credited as such. So she was so brilliant. She used a huge philanthropist. She would make sure that young girls in orphanages were given clothes, given money. She was, you know, trying to give jobs to these people. Mm. You don't hear about this until you do the research. So even in death, actually, her tomb was ransacked in the, I want to say in the 1800s. All the gold and marble was stripped from the tomb, her body and that of her daughter's. Ladli, who was uh, buried next to her, was removed from 
their uh, their respective, you know, tomb area, and bodies were just left there. For that to happen to an empress just shows the disregard. Mm-hmm. And it was then after that, you know, they're still to this day, finally, I would say, restoring her monument, her tomb, but the bodies were then placed underground. And I've had the, I feel blessing to actually go and visit every time I'm in Lahore. I always go and take flowers to her tomb. Uh, my daughter comes with me. My daughter feels a connection to Ladli uh, and has even of her own desire gone and brought flowers mm-hmm. just for Ladli. And we've gone underneath underground and have actually been able to touch the very earth in which her body is is laid to rest beneath and you know i just have a great deal of respect to somebody who was in so many ways ahead of her time she was breaking all norms and she didn't care she did not care what people thought of her and um that's essentially has become a calling and a sense of responsibility to tell her story and not as a singular story but as one that i hope reminds us of the powerful women of past and present and hope that 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 shows women of today, young girls of today, that into the future, they could and should hold roles of power and influence. Okay. And so when we're talking about you playing Noor Jahan, do you, is that something you have to say, play a character? Or do you think, do you think of yourself as an empress in your world? What is your, well, I, I don't think of myself as an empress. I'll say that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I think regardless of the roles we take on in Qatar, mm-hmm. if you don't find a deep connection to the role you're playing, mm-hmm. then it won't come across to the audience. Right. So for me, storytelling in Qatar is about forming a deep sense of empathy. It's not saying I am this character in the superficial surface level sense. It mm-hmm. is saying what what are the dynamics that created this person's emotion? What has happened to them in their life and in their interactions with others that, you know, for example, the, the best example I always give to this is one of the other women I play is actually the second wife to Prince Salim, uh, mm-hmm. Empress Jagat Gosni. And she initially was, if you will, his favorite. You know, she had, she was the, um, definitely even when he became emperor, she was the Padshah Begum, which is, you know, the highest honor for anybody. Even if there are multiple wives, there tends to be one who sort of rules the Zanana, as they say. Mm. And she was that until Mehrunissa came into the picture. But even before that, um, because she was known to be very feisty, very sort of vocal, um, mm. one of Akbar's wives who could not bear children, Rukaya, she almost took, if you will, Khuram, who was Jagat Gosni and Prince Salim's son. Mm-hmm. And she said, I want to raise him. So in many ways, Khuram, who again became Shah Jahan, was raised mm-hmm. by Rukaya and Akbar. And, mm-hmm. um, and so there was always this feeling of tremendous loss for Jagat Gosni. And mm-hmm. so what was often perceived as her being very, very much a bully, if you will, and very right. vengeful and this and that was actually, mm-hmm. as it is for most bullies, rooted in deep loss and sadness. And so when she then 
is faced with yet another loss of not receiving the same degree of attention and love from her husband right. as he is appropriating that to another one of his wives. Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of feel like you want to root for Meherunissa because she's also gone through her own trials and tribulations. But you have to think deeply about the, the pain of Jagat Gosni. And so when I show, I, I do a particular savaljivab, a, a jugalbandi of sorts, between these two women, and as much as I'm like bringing this very like, who do you think you are from Jagat Gosni to Mehrunissa, now Mehrunissa and her seat of power is a little bit like, ha, 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 now you're getting yours. But it's, I'm also, I'm also holding on to this place of like pain of Jagat Gosni. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not just coming at Mehrunissa of, you know, get out of here. I'm the ruler. I'm, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, my God, I'm about to lose this too. You know, and so these are the, the the places that I go. And so if you ask me if I'm an empress, no. But have I faced pain? Yes. Have I been a bully? Yes. I have to own that I am each of these characters in some way or the other. In my best and my worst of qualities, I really do believe that all of us possess all of these characteristics. And so it's just a matter of tapping into them or, you know, there's a scene that I portray where I... Prince Salim has had a very um, tumultuous relationship with his father. And only in the latter years of uh, Emperor Akbar's life that he has reconciled with him. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of regret there. And in a lot of ways, it even reminds me of my own relationship with my Guruji. Um, but there's still such a deep love there between the mm-hmm. two of them. But when I have to enact the death scene specifically, and then the the funeral in which um, Prince Salim lays his father to rest, mm-hmm. I actually invoke a very powerful personal memory of my own husband, who happens to also be named Salim, ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, but when his father passed, and he quite literally... It's, it's a custom that I had not seen, but um, one that he's also Muslim like me, but he right. quite literally got into the grave of his father and his father's body was passed to him, wrapped in the cloth, mm. and he took his father's body and placed it mm. for the earth. And so when I do that scene, it doesn't always happen and I can't force it, right. but the memory can come. And you know, I don't, I don't push that emotion away. Um, You know, my father, my own father is going through some health related situations right now. And so when I performed this show earlier this year, Mm -hmm. I was overcome with a wave of an emotion of thinking about my own father and it happens Mm -hmm. on stage. And Mm -hmm. if the emotion comes, it comes. If it doesn't, then I am acting and that's okay too. But I, you know, these are the things that inform me emotionally, physically, spiritually when I tell stories. That okay, so instead of like thinking of each character as yourself, you take characteristics of them that you can relate to and draw from personal experiences, right? And again, if I don't have a personal experience, I still have to do enough research. And again, mm-hmm. this was Guruji. Um, we, I still remember my first, I think, time that I had to really explore that when mm-hmm. we were, he was choreographing, you know, an excerpt of the Ramayana, Sita Haran. And mm-hmm. um, 
he wanted us to not just research the character that we had been assigned, but mm-hmm. even to understand the relation of all of these characters. And so, you know, again, you think of, I, I played Lakshman at that time. I played both Laksh. I've done, I've done Marich, but the golden deer only. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was the disguised deer. I've been Lakshman and I have been um, Ram. I, funny mm-hmm. enough, I was never a feminine character, a female character, mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember having to, I remember reading and really finding a great deal of compassion for Surpanika. You know, mm-hmm. you, you see her as this sort of demonic kind of character who's just there to entice and, ah, she got hers because she went after Sita and, you know, how dare she? No, she's wounded. She And not only physically after her nose was chopped, mm. but why was she who she was? You have to take the time to understand and do your, and that's why I say form a sense of empathy, because if you mm. don't, if, if emotion doesn't start on the inside, then what you show on the outside through Abhinaya is forced. It's contrived. It's your audience won't feel it at the same mm. level as if you really go deep. And mm-hmm. and that has to start on the inside. So you're saying like the audience can tell, even if like they're not trained in acting, that if the feeling is coming from within or not, what is your... I mean, I, I absolutely believe so. I mean, why are we moved when we watch theater, when we watch a film, when we watch a TV show? It's because we feel the conviction in which what, you know, mm-hmm. acting is, that is a, if it's not done with conviction, then mm-hmm. you're not moved by it. I mean, there's a reason you think something is, you know, somebody's a good or a bad actor because of the way they made you feel. Hmm. Interesting. And, I, right? I, I guess I, I don't know a whole lot. I just assume they were not good or bad at acting itself. But it's interesting to know that if it comes from within, that's what makes good or bad acting. I, so. This is my interpretation. Of course. Right? Of course. <laughs> I I know people say that it's in my opinion, but I feel like if you're saying it, it's understood. But yeah, it's a very interesting thing that way. Uh, and I guess, so the next thing I wanted to touch upon is, oh yeah, so real quick on this note, since you mentioned Sita Haran, uh, that's something I'm going to be delving into with Saivi as well, because she, oh, she, played, she played Hanuman there and then Son of the Wind. So that's one of the things awesome. I'll be talking about, because she awesome. said the, the character evolves over those two. Yeah, oh, well. and she does them... She, yeah, she's, she was born to be Hanuman. <laughs> yes. uh, that's, that's something I've heard again and again. So I spent, I made a note because okay. whenever, I, when I was looking up Saivishi, it was like, everyone kept raving on about a Hanuman character. I was like, this is something we need to discuss. Yeah. So, and the next thing then we talk about is, yeah, let's just talk about the, your partition uh, thing. Could you tell us a little partition bit about project. that? Absolutely. Okay. So I already mentioned a little bit about my personal history. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I've, I believe that that's part of why I'm so drawn to partition, but I also, you know, similarly with the forgotten empress, I, I just really love mogul history. And so there's something about, you know, even these historical components that draw me in again, as a, as an uncovering of human interaction, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so with partition, it was something I always wanted to explore. Um, but needless to say, it's such a weighty topic. But right. um, there there was just a time where it clicked for me. And so mm-hmm. what that has and continues to be, um, again, evolving, is this idea of really portraying the human experience, less so about the politics and Definitely less so about the the names that, if you will, we all know Gandhi, 
you know, Janessaheb, Nehruji, like, okay, fine. But there are, of course, many other big players, Mountbatten and, and all of these, Radcliffe, you know, those who were the, who were the British that were involved. So you can absolutely get to the, the textbook version of it. But to me, the more interesting story are the people whose lives were affected and quite literally are still affected to this day, generations later. Okay. Um, and so for me, Kathak is a medium to be able to explore these themes, these topics, these stories. So what that looked like is, um, and I ended up collaborating with a theater arts organization in Act Arts, and it ended up being a very large, um, full length, again, production. Mm-hmm. And it was woven together by a script and it had, we had about 50 people in the cast and Mm -hmm. about uh, maybe 55% of them were actors and the remainder dancers. Um, We are evolving the project. I do feel that dance was not as strong of a component in it. And I really have a lot more to say through the dance. So that's going to be happening, happening in the second iteration, but it was essentially taking these different characters, if you will, lives And the intention behind it was to, yes, qualify. Were they Hindu? Were they Muslim? Were they Sikh? Were they Bangladeshi? Were they crossing the border to, you know, West Pakistan? Whatever it might have been. But the intention was not even so much about their specific who they were. But we wanted to tell their stories for somebody in the audience to say, wait, I'm not Muslim, but that happened to my family too. Or wait, mm. that that Sikh woman is reminding me of my Hindu grandmother. Okay. And that is exactly the point. Partition affected everybody. Everybody was the perpetrator. Everybody was the victim. So there is no right. There is no wrong. If you ask me, it was all wrong. The only right were the stories of humanity that came out. The stories of when you hear of... Um, you know, Muslim saving Hindus and vice versa. And there are so many of those stories, but it's about saying, let's honor those stories of humanity. Let's honor that we were all affected, that the number of lives lost is a cumulative number. It's not a less than or more than as far as who was Hindu, who was Muslim, who was Sikh, who was Christian, you know, we don't know enough about this Hindi story. We don't, you know, there's so many aspects to this that we need to honor and recognize and acknowledge and have dialogue about. That's the thing that also is so painful to me is how many people have not talked about it. And I mean, people who were actually directly affected. Um, It quite literally wasn't even until our project came out that a grandmother of one of my students who was a young teenager at the time witnessed rape, witnessed murder. She had not until 2017 spoken about it. Can you imagine that? I mean, It just, it blows my mind that for 60 years, you can keep that trauma suppressed and not in a way that you've forgotten about it, but you were never allowed to speak about it. And so this is why I feel this work is so important because it's not just about looking at the history and again, the trauma of those that were affected, but quite literally by not talking about it, what is still happening? Hindu Muslim violence, 
Look at what's happening to Sikh communities. We don't even acknowledge what has happened to Sikh Punjabi communities, what's happening quite literally today to Mm. the farmers. It's not an isolated incident. Sikhs have been ostracized and the genocide is real. And it stems from these pivotal events. And if we don't talk about it, how are we going to change it? It's not just within India. It's still the India-Pakistan conflict. Even the, the turmoil between Pakistan and Bangladesh, for that matter. We're not a cohesive community just because it's two Muslim nations. You know, these. It's we can't reverse what happened, but we can certainly own it and on some level correct it. And that's why I feel so compelled as an artist, at least through the means that I have, mm-hmm. to to do this work. Uh, so, Haji, you mentioned that you wanted to add more dance elements to partition. So, are you trying to? Uh, would you be trying to ensure that you have representation from multiple, from different age groups, cultural groups, and ethnic groups, and religious groups in that? Um. So. It's, I guess I, my answer is sort of twofold to that. One, I will say is that um, the desire to have more dance, let me address that first, is that the challenge when one incorporates something like theater is that understandably so, theater is so driven by a script, right? Um, but I do believe that again, our forms, and it's ironic because in my project, The Forgotten Empress, that's also, we have a script. However, in that show, for example, there you hear the script quite a bit, but there are also plenty of times where it's just music and movement and you don't need the script to tell you what's happening because if I am truly doing the work with integrity and quality, then sometimes that's enough. You don't need the words. That's what I want to bring more of into the partition project as well. As we say, show more, say less. And so there's a little bit of that. Um, or a lot of that, I should say, that I want to do more of, um, whether that's character driven and or even, you know, kind of, in, you know, creating environment or movement. For example, I use the train a lot. And that's a that's a something that my Guruji used to do is show the train. And so I've taken the influence of that. And the train was, of course, such an important part of partition. So when you whenever it's a scene with the train, my dancers become the train. And anybody who knows of that, of Guruji, I think is more moved, but um, it's still, it's a very unique way. And it's very clear that the sound of the Kongru and the sound of the feet is meant to represent the train. Going back to your question about, okay, do you have to have all this representation? Um, Well, again, it's going to be dance and theater. And, you know, it will be up to the dancers and the actors to take on the representation of these different characters. Last time, yes, we did have casted some multiple generations. My daughter was even in it. She actually happened to play my daughter in it. So there is, there are times where you do really want to see the character fit, if you will, the profile of that unique story. Uh, but we also, just like with Kathak, if I have to play a child, I have to play a child. If I have to play somebody elder, you know, it's so we we play those lines intentionally, get a little blurred. Um, I did in the first iteration and will be doing this to a certain degree in the the next version. Um, I knew that this was something I wanted to be inclusive of more than just Gattak. So I actually had Punjabi folk. I had Bengali folk, not me. Those are not 
forms that I feel uncomfortable in, but I brought in other dancers. And I knew I wanted something else classical. And this is a little strange. You'll you'll understand why. But I had Bharatanatyam. Obviously, partition did not affect as much in South India. But what I wanted was another storytelling form. And my relationship happened to be with Bharatanatyam artists. Right. And I thought they did it beautifully. And I think, it, to me, it also represented this idea of just coexistence by mm-hmm. having... I'm I'm really, you know, intentionally kind of generalizing here, but Bharatnatyam being, if you will, in quotes, very strong air quotes, very mm-hmm. Hindu. Mm-hmm. Garbage truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you want to want me to wait till it's gone? Um the intention with Paratnatyam, or not intention, but what I actually sort of loved is that, you know, Paratnatyam can often be seen as like the 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 form that is so Hindu, if you will, in mm-hmm. nature, right? And Kathak has a little bit more of that Mughal Islamic, you know, aspect to it. So there was an intentional, if you will, a little bit of juxtaposition there, which mm. I was okay with. So however people wanted to interpret it, that's okay. And I think that to assume that partition didn't affect South India at all is also a bit of a misnomer. I mean, it didn't at all to the same degree as it did for North India, but even mm-hmm. people who might've had family in these regions, who knows? So for me, um, so to answer your question, the representation comes in various ways in that regard. You know, we try to bring these different textural elements by having various dance representation. Actors will be, you know, cast accordingly based on those storylines, these different themes that we bring throughout. But we also, I will say in closing to this, is that it is also very important, as I said earlier, we really want people to feel that they don't need to specifically see themselves or their family lineage in it to Mm. connect to it. I think that that's the beautiful thing about it is that by telling the story again of somebody who you don't feel you would otherwise connect to, but then all of a sudden, you do because of a similar shared experience, that's the beauty. And so the moment we start saying, oh, we need to check all these boxes to make sure we have all these different stories told, then we're doing it in a way that's actually, again, very surface level. Um, Mm. If you do it at a more deeper, meaningful, emotional level, that stands out. And yet I do believe we have to strike that balance. And and for example, we didn't have a Sindhi story last time. And I think that if we can weave that in this time, that would be really beautiful because there is something about, you know, Sindhi culture was lost. You know, Karachi mm-hmm. was like the hotbed for Sindhis. And mm-hmm. they, they moved to where? All over. And mm-hmm. they did, you know, if you talk about Punjabi, Sikh, Muslim, Hindu, Punjab culture is so beautifully, Punjab culture exists, right? On both sides of the border. Right. Bengali culture exists on both sides of the border. Do we have that for Sindhis? Not much. I mean, when I think about it, whenever we talk about Sindhis in Indian culture, it's mostly about in the context of them being good businessmen. Right. And that's it. We don't know their cultural practices and traditions, right? What did mm-hmm. they lose? Um, so it's. It, I do believe it is important to try to find and educate ourselves and, and our audience through uncovering those nuances that we don't know enough about. Okay. And since, 
what i'm thinking is you deal with such complex historical issues that require details and you know because the kind of devil with devils in the details <laughs> how, how do you portray things like oh the blueprint of like say the taj mahal was done by you no know, jahan ji and like such intricate details that you've read in history books and you found after like you know years and hours of work and portray that on stage what goes into getting that those things right through dance hmm very good question and that's where again you know for me it is very important to acknowledge what can and cannot be shown through dance and how can it still be woven in in a way that credits these aspects and so that's where the narrative does help and that's where mm. um you know we have a multimedia component and so i i don't necessarily show that particular thing but right. as a point of example so we even in the scene that um you know upper is laid to rest and we have mm. this very ghosted sort of image of you know because there's a there's a line in the narrative in the script in which it says which would later you know in the la- later years his tomb would be resurrected and so we show this ghosted image of what is the monument that we now know as of course emperor akbar's and so you find these ways to show these types of things um and so that's you know for me that's the beauty of that project and i believe even with partition project you know i don't see anything i do as like it must be all about me Farah one it must be all about Gattak no neither it's it's how if if i'm wanting to tell a story what is it going to require how can i be part of that as a vehicle through the you know in the medium that most speaks to me which is Gattak absolutely i will do that but i'll just say i've been criticized sometimes that oh you know even forgotten empress like i i was hoping for more dance well ironically i'm like well I just danced my butt off. So I don't know what you were talking about, but you know, mm. dance to me Gattak is not just executing a bunch of tatkar and chakar mm. and composition. Abhinaya is Gattak and I am doing nothing but Abhinaya. And I'm also the artistic director on that project. And just like I said earlier mm. when you asked me, those musicians, those brilliant musicians are not sitting there to accompany me. They are artists in their own right and they have a story to tell through their music. And the music that we have chosen is so specifically done. So for example, our Rajasthani empress Jagat Gosni, right. what what is played then? Raginder, the violin is specifically brought in Rajasthani mand. That's about qualifying who she is and adding this very subtle texture. So I'm off doing a costume change during that. You don't need to see me there and the show mm. goes on and it goes on beautifully and that is part of my vision of the project. So right. when I create something, I can't just have it be about me 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 me. Mm. To be about all of the components that deliver that work. And it is a challenge as an artist because I think people see it and like, "Oh, that wasn't again much thing. It wasn't it wasn't enough dance or it wasn't this, you know, and I mm. and I'm like, "Well, I to me it was about the project and the part that I wanted. Now, of course, I want more dance in the partition project and we'll get it there, but mm-hmm. you know, so that's that's how I choose to bring these elements like the one that you spoke of. That's really interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, I was just having a conversation with Nanadi yesterday, Nanagreen. Uh she made a comment about how Kathak 
that she doesn't even want to call kathak a dance form she'd rather call it an art form because there's so much more to kathak than just hmm. dance and Absolutely. she made like, yeah. yeah and so she was she cuz she was doing a performance and somebody made a comment at the back saying i, I want to see more shakars or something like that and they were doing like a beautiful abhinav piece so it seems like there's a lot of shared experience there well, and there's the other side of it i'll just say mm-hmm. you know um again guruji was known for being you know technically extremely virtuosic right um and even you know how he would choreograph and train us and people see us and oh you know where's the khubsurti where's the nazakat where's the bhav where's the this and that are you kidding me it is there you need to look mm-hmm. and secondly is you know so it, people people are always going to be subjective about what they want to mm-hmm. see and um i think that the detriment to that is mm. is almost dictating to the artist of how they should convey their art and i believe i agree absolutely with nana like there are so many layers and components to these art forms that it should be up to us to choose to bring certain ones to the forefront. Now, I will also say that I think it is also up to us that if we're going to claim to do Kathak that we should be as well-rounded as possible in these different elements, but we may not choose to show them all all the time and mm. that's okay. okay. That that should not be criticized. Okay. That is really interesting. No everything, but you get to choose when you want to show what how Okay. And since we are kind of coming close to time, I do want to make sure I touch upon your academy as well. So could you tell us a little bit about Nurani and we'll get into that a little bit. Absolutely, more. absolutely. So Nurani Dance is uh the name of course of my organization. We're a non-profit cultural arts organization. Mm-hmm. And I officially founded it in uh 2016. We became a 501c3 a non-profit organization just in 2019, however. Okay. Um of course I was with my Guruji's institution for close mm-hmm. to 20 years and um I stepped away from his direct guidance in 2014 so it still took me a couple of years to mm-hmm. form the entity if you will right. and the intention is in doing so is really you know I had started teaching private classes uh prior more or less uh upon leaving Guruji I just initially started working with students one on one and um but it became as time progressed it became clear that there was a group that was sort of forming coalescing if you will that could embrace uh performance opportunities okay. and i didn't want them to just you know have this oh students of fire yes mean shake i didn't want it to be about me yes i'm their teacher and i right. want to be if you will honored as such mm-hmm. but i wanted them to be able to have some sort of identity that that brought them together in in a different way okay. and that was how when i founded the organization and specifically nurani is actually my birth name my birth name is fire yes mean nurani oh. and um but it, it didn't i didn't it came to me in a very sort of happenstance kind of way where i was okay. really, i noor the name noor is very important to me i think both because it is part of my birth name my mm-hmm. daughter's middle name is noor which she's named mm-hmm. after my husband's grandmother for her middle name my grandmother for her first name mm-hmm. obviously empress noor jahan mm-hmm. there so there was something about noor and just the meaning light and i just kept grappling with that and doing all these different configurations and then i thought wait nurani there's noor and it has such personal meaning and it's it is it is a way to honor my family my my parents my siblings have been 
such a big part and still are of supporting my dance journey. So I wanted to be able to honor that. Um, but Nurani, you know, I, I say it, of course, it means light, glittering light. And, um, but I also believe it has a dual meaning of enlightenment. So our tagline is enlightening minds and hearts through the arts. And so as far as the basis of what we do and, and the, the training, again, Guruji is in my DNA. And so I always hope to bring that forward. But I also, it was an opportunity to kind of explore what were aspects of things that of the years of teaching I had um, experienced at Chandam, what were some other things that I wanted to explore and bring to my students? And um, I also really did feel, you know, I made a very clear decision to be away from my Guruji. This was, of course, before he passed. And I, I did feel that it would not be right to just take all of his curriculum and his mm-hmm. music and uh, right. choreography and just say, okay, now I'm going to take this and, and share it. And right. I'm here in the same area as his institution. So I decided to challenge myself with trying to create a new. I, I certainly don't claim that it is anything comparable to his, but I also believe it was, okay, Guruji has given me skills. Now I need to put them to the test. Right. And um, So that's what I've attempted to do. And so we do our best to bring his style and his, you know, the training um, that he passed on to me and develop nuances that I believe might be also uniquely me. And um, of course, all those four elements of Teyari Lekari, Khubsurti Nazakat, a lot of theory and history as was expected of me as a student. Mm-hmm. I now expect that um, and, and do my best to convey that knowledge to my students. Um, but that's, yes, what else can I tell you about Nurani dance? Mm, well, well, since you mentioned Guruji, I, I was wondering, since you have teachers, students of your own, uh, and I know Chitresh Dasji didn't like to be called Guruji till late into his 50s. Right. Are you comfortable? What is your relationship with the word Guru? Are you like, are you comfortable with being called Guru? And how do you feel about oh, it? Oh, for myself? Um, yes. You know, again, it, he instilled in us such a deep reverence for that word yes i'm not even of course to him but i'm just speaking about the word i mean just mm. by him holding off for so long i mean even pundit he didn't he didn't let people speak to him as you know say pundit he'd never let people touch his feet you know all of these things that right. really gave us the weight of the significance of these and i appreciate that because we never took it for granted for that reason so it is hard to think of being that for somebody else right because mm. It comes with such weight and responsibility. Um, so nobody calls me Guruji, and I don't mm. expect that of them. I don't know when and if I'll feel differently about that. I figure I'll I'll cross that bridge when the time comes. I, I'm not calculating that at all. Um, but I do believe that if I fill a role for somebody that is Guru-like, hmm. I think I don't think I need the title to be able to emulate the depth of those relationships, if that makes sense. So what okay. that what what I feel that is, is that I have to be honorable. Mm-hmm. I have to teach with integrity, with quality. I have mm-hmm. to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. I can't just give these profound lessons and then not back them up in my own daily life. <laughs> um And that means in my practice, in my faltering from my practice, I am human and and self-discipline is something that I am always striving for. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to come in the way that I 
speak to my students in the way that they speak to me. I find that because of some of the harder times that I had, you know, I was just going to say that because of my own ups and downs with my Guruji, I sometimes find myself slip into this place um, that was reminiscent of the environment in which I was a part of and not always a positive one. And I sort of catch myself in, you know, slipping into these patterns. And so the point is, is that I have to learn as much as I need to be, if you will, that teacher, that mentor, that role model, it's also okay for me to make the mistakes and learn from them. You know, again, it's Mm -hmm. honoring and acknowledging that I am far from perfect. And my students are often the ones holding up the mirror to me just as much as I hope to do for them. Understood. That is interesting. And kind of brings me to my next part where since we talked a little bit about Noani, how you are as a teacher and what, how you, you, how you hold yourself. Uh, Yeah. Could you, yeah, then I want to get into hardest. I guess I always wanted to tell uh, us a little bit about what hardest is about to you first, and then. Absolutely. Um, so the the term hardest, of course, the word heart and artistry. Um, I frankly had always had a desire, not always, but in I'd say the past five or so years. So another I I question: Did you come up with the word, or has this word existed before? Uh, I it was new to me. Okay. But of course, as I looked at, oh, does this exist? Other people have used it. So it's okay, not, yes. Uh, so it's not that it doesn't exist. Uh, but fortunately, <laughs> I believe my podcast is the only one with that title. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when I have this desire to do a podcast, uh, I initially was looking at things like, you know, the business of being an artist, because I think that there's just people don't understand all the layers of being an artist. And I realized, no, I need to broaden the conversation beyond that. Mm -hmm. And it just got me thinking about why did I even want to explore that? And I believe that artists are often seen as, you know, we are on the periphery of, you know, one's professional trajectory. And, oh, if you're an artist, you're struggling in this and that. Well, how is an artist any different than an entrepreneur? How is how is an artist any different than somebody, even a lawyer, who maybe the path is a little bit more clearly charted out? But, you know, anybody who's coming at something that they feel really deeply passionate about, how right. is that any different? And so um, then it just got me I guess on this note, I can just make a quick note. Um, the for me, uh, the difference between a uh, like an artist and say a lawyer and engineer is that you can be like an average or mediocre. In, at least for an engineering, I'll talk about engineering. You can be an average or mediocre engineer and still make bank. And I don't think you can do that much as an artist, but I'd like to hear what your, your thoughts are. So thank you for saying that. And I guess that's exactly the distinction. It's saying that there are still people that are bringing that degree of passion mm-hmm. and excelling in these different, and I don't even want it to just be about career because it's, I'm very clear, even in my little tagline, it's about anybody who's bringing a passion, compassion, commitment to what they're doing, income generating or not. I love, I I love how you make things rhyme, Faraji. <laughs> arts to the arts. <laughs> I love alliterations and yes. things like that. I mean, okay. it's, it helps me to remember, right? Right. And, um, but anyway, so the the intention behind Heartistry was absolutely to bring a spotlight to artists, but intentionally not to exclusively focus on them, to mm. make these journeys in some ways parallel. You're absolutely right in that a big factor that distinguishes is 
quite literally the monetary value that is placed on an mm-hmm. artist versus an engineer or, you know, various, if you will, industries. And I believe that that's an important part of the conversation. Like what, what, and why do we value what we value? Mm-hmm. Um, so artistry is really about uncovering these conversations. And, and the beauty is, is that people's journeys are actually in many ways quite similar. If you are really going after something you're passionate about. Right. And uh, so initially that has started with the, the talk show, the podcast. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for already almost close to a year. I'm about 40 episodes in now. Nice. And it's been such a joy because, mm-hmm. yes, I have had a chance to speak with a number of artists from around the globe, uh, as well as people and artists, dancers, musicians, actors, uh all, all different types of folks, entrepreneurs from various, various walks of life, you know, mm. people who are doing clothing, skincare, uh, you name it. I, it's just been great. Lawyers. Um, I had a woman, my first episode was this woman who's doing, has created an e-commerce business in Pakistan. And she is, it's a delivery business to bring sanitary, feminine sanitary products to okay. people's homes. And to do that in Pakistan, my God, I think it's phenomenal. Mm. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's stories, yes, that are in, definitely inspirational, mm-hmm. uh, as well as I think, again, it's about finding these parallels in each mm-hmm. other's stories. Um, and then as of late, I realized I want to do something that built on that. And mm. That's where the video series, the Hardestry video series was born. And in some ways, that's also an opportunity to spotlight the work specifically that I have done, that Nirani Dance has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at some of these projects like the Partition Project. Sometimes it's more even pieces that I've developed within the context of a traditional Katak solo. So we're going to be in conversation sometimes with collaborators, musical collaborators or otherwise. Uh, we just had, as as you know, our first episode mm-hmm. just uh, almost two weeks ago. Yeah. And that one we, you know, of course, especially even in this virtual time, what it, it was an opportunity to explore that specifically. And we called that episode uh, Creativity, Collaboration and Community. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, it was a chance for myself and five other artists that I've worked with quite frequently yeah. to just discuss and reflect how this time is affecting us. You know, we're all dealing with the pandemic in different ways, but I really believe that artists have been, you know, we've been both looked at as kind of the saviors. I mean, look at people are doing workouts and classes of all types of art, attending performance, and artists have been the ones who have been sort of called to action to give so much away for free. Mm -hmm. And yet, we're struggling to teach our classes in virtual settings. We are not going to be in theaters for God knows how long. Mm -hmm. So both from a financial perspective, we are deeply affected, but also emotionally, we're not able to create in the way that Mm -hmm. we had. We're finding creative ways because that's what we do, Mm -hmm. but our world has been turned upside down and yet we're supposed to also make it right for everybody else by bringing Mm -hmm. them joy. And it feels a little bit imbalanced. Mm -hmm. And so it was both a conversation to talk about that, to talk about what we're missing. And then I was, you know, fortunately things have, there's been an unfortunate resurgence of course, in our numbers in California specifically, but at the time that we were able to do this, um, 
we still had to be extremely cautious and take Mm -hmm. measures that were very unique to say the least, but we were able to be in each other's physical presence only twice. And, um, for one rehearsal, we had done virtual rehearsals up to that. We did one rehearsal and recording of the track in mm-hmm. person. And then we got into a, a theater and were able to do a video. And it was such a meaningful project. And I jokingly said to them, I was like, look, if nobody watches this, just look at how happy all of us are. And that's really ultimately what it was like just to be able to come together and create in this way and to have these memories and be able to express our emotions and sentiments was so rewarding just for us. And yet we hope that it made an impact in the way that we shared it with people through our episode. That's it's funny that you said that uh, you wouldn't care that nobody watches it. I was follow- I was kind of following <laughs> it behind the scenes as the buildup was happening because a lot of virtual festivals are announced, Faraji, but Yours was interesting because there were people just like there were people, a lot of people sharing outside your network that, hey, this is going on. There was a lot of hype around it. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but when the show started, like the live chat just blew up. Yeah, it was so, lovely. So what? So I guess my question is, I uh, I was there too. I I I guess I I didn't know what was coming, but there was a lot of hype around your first video. So what do you think? What was special about the th- what you presented that got people so engaged so quickly or for your first step for your podcast? Not video podcast, video show. Uh you know, I think that what we try to do in anything that we do is just bring a, a an authenticity to it. And I think yeah. that maybe it, whether it was clearly articulated or there was enough interest peaked, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think we were just trying to get people to know that this was something that especially to our artist community that we really felt would speak to them. And Mm -hmm. that was actually the most rewarding component of it is seeing that chat throughout the event and people saying, Oh my gosh, this is so resonating with me. And Oh my goodness. I'm I, there's a little bit of, I felt a little guilt because we were making actually people feel even sad because Mm -hmm. we were reminding them of what they were missing simply because we had come together and other people maybe had not had the opportunity to come together. So like my gooder sister, um, that I was like, oh my goodness, I'm missing all of you so much. So there was a little bit of, oh wow, we're kind of rubbing salt in the wound by doing this. Mm. But I think it was, it was also a reminder of, look at how what, what a beautiful world we are a part of by being mm. artists by getting this interaction and inspiration from each other and by having this unique gift that can bring joy to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I believe that people were responding to it for all of those reasons. I mean, I had friends on there from Pakistan were watching a filmmaker friend of mine, a Pakistani American filmmaker. She was also finding such relatability, even by having to create work in her her artistic sphere. Um, And so I believe that for all of those reasons as well, you know, I think it was, we had something very new to share artistically. So there was definitely some buildup for that. Um, So I guess for all of those reasons, hopefully is why we drew the attention and the excitement that we did. Yeah. And I think my favorite part was the last part when you all did an upash together and you were like, let's, (laughs) let's, And there was some apprehension, but you said, let's just see what happens. I'm just going to start a lay and get us started. And that was really fun. To see. Well, and, you know, and honestly, it's funny because I, I it, it was obviously totally betala because there was the latency and all of that. But mm-hmm. I think that that also spoke to the reality is mm-hmm. we are so used to working in these, you know, rhythmic patterns and timings and 
you know, even when I teach, like I am not able to gauge the sincere accuracy of my students right now. And we're all trying to find these ways to ensure again, that what we're delivering is integrity and quality and Mm -hmm. having to make such deep sacrifices. I mean, these are fundamentals to our Mm. art form. So now I have my students send me videos so I can make sure I'm watching what they're doing then separately and say, nope, you are betala here. Your left foot is weak. You're this or that. Or that's a huge, I wouldn't say burden, but it's a lot of extra time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so these are the things to do that in that moment, that upaj. I didn't go at it with that intention, but what some people said is it's, thank you for doing that because it just further emphasizes enforce this just how difficult things are right now okay and yeah just coming to my last question i remember when you finished it i i the first thing i said great fire this was a great video when is the next one coming out so yeah. on that note what are your future projects that are coming up in the future absolutely so i mean the artistry video series is something that we hope to continue beyond you know even when we're back in person again oh, yes, please. of the podcast um i am excited because the second episode is getting formulated more and more quite okay. literally Yesterday, we had a really great creative meeting and I won't give too much away yet, but it's it's going to be uh, equally but very differently moving from the first um, from the first episode. I actually, you know, I had one of my aha kind of moments yesterday where some things really clicked and the people that are going to be a part of it. It's it's so that we've actually, I will say, is going to release. We decided we were originally thinking February, mm-hmm. but based on the the different components of this one, we're going to push it out a little bit further. And it okay. reminds me that something that I really love to do is actually always honor and celebrate International Women's Day and Women's History Month. Okay. I feel very blessed that I'm born right around that time, March 5th. And um, I did my intentionally did my forgotten Empress show around my birthday that for that reason, because okay. of honoring such a powerful woman. So second episode will release in early March. And um, we are exploring themes this time um, of, you know, not a light topic to say the least, but of uh, racism, casteism, colorism, and in a sort of general idea of activism and how art is really a vehicle of activism um, with some of these topics in mind. And so, um, yes, really, you know, take it with a great deal of responsibility to be even going there. But that's, that's, I'd say the most, um, that's the one that's coming up soonest. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, we are launching the second phase of the partition project mm-hmm. that is launching uh, probably within the, uh, 2021. The goal is to launch it and do a year long series of activities. Again, we don't know exactly what that looks like because we nice. don't know that it's going to be in theaters. Um And we hope it will tour, but we're also looking for it not to just be a production, Mm -hmm. but a series of even smaller events. And so there will be more coming out on that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say as far as outward facing public projects, those are the two that are are the biggest. I am hoping to get back to Pakistan sometime soon. I had Mm -hmm. plans to be there right now. Right to say that didn't happen so hopefully i'll get back there in 2021 and mm-hmm. i have some exciting collaborations that i had been in conversation with some folks about that i really do hope um will come to fruition mm-hmm. in pakistan and possibly do another trip where i'm able to bring artists from here with me to pakistan so um all of those things there's no shortage of of 
exciting activity. And of course, just continuing to deepen the relationships. I'm never looking to our school. We're very happy to keep it um, relatively small. Mm -hmm. And I just hope to continue to deepen the training with the students that I do get the blessing of working with. And yeah, thank you for doing this. I really enjoyed doing this with you. Likewise.